Good morning. Good morning. Okay. My name is David. I was actually here a couple weeks ago. You might not recognize me because I did get the dress code for this week. A little more put together. Anyways, this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. If you could turn there, I'm going to cut back and read the end of chapter 3 to set the tone a little bit. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 3. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, and get into your word. Thank you, Lord, that we could spend time with you. Lord, thank you for the worship this morning. Such a sweet sound, a sweet sound, Lord, that prepares us for what you have for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that our hearts be willing, that we may accept what you have for us, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, just refresh us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the children of Israel, we read in the opening, they did not enter the rest that God had promised because of unbelief, right? So how would we define rest? How would we define rest? Is it like kicking back on a beautiful day like today's going to be? Is it that moment after you completed a project and you breathe a sigh of relief and say you're done? Or is it a nice quiet house that you have to yourself? I mean, these would all work, right? But God's definition of rest is quite a bit different than mine. It's not that God doesn't want us to take a break in life when we finish up something or anything like that. But the rest I described is very temporary, very temporary. I mean, we're going to have tomorrow, unless the Lord comes, we're going to have tomorrow, another day. There will always be a next project in order to do. And eventually the kids are going to come home, or they're going to wake up, and the house isn't going to be so quiet, right? But that rest is kind of temporary. God wants us to have a complete rest, a complete rest, that complete peaceful feeling knowing that his work has been done. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says this, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, how much rest do we really get? Really think about that? I mean, are we too busy with life, being stressed out, or maybe worried, anxious, busy, overwhelmed, to even notice how much rest we get? Just our daily routine can turn into one of these lists until we check things off and we get a time to take a break. Then and only then can you put your feet up and just chill for a little bit. You know, that's the complete opposite of what God wants for you. The absolute complete opposite. So... If you can relate to any part of that, this study is for you. I know it was for me. So we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. A um, little briefing there. The book of Hebrews is one that we call without author. The author doesn't necessarily identify himself, although many commentators will attribute the writing to the Apostle Paul because it has similarities. But again, that's not firm because the writer is not identified. But whoever the author is, we know that he's addressing the Christians, the Hebrew Christians or believers. Okay? Now, in our busy lives... The subject of rest is an invited one. I know it is for me. 
It's like a light at the end of the tunnel or a big sigh of relief. But we're not always like that. We don't always live like that. And as the writer of Hebrews enters into the fourth chapter to describe this promise of rest, he's just given us an example that the children of Israel failed to enter in due to something. The kind of rest that God's designed for us is best described as the finished work or his finished work at the cross. And that's going to make more sense as we get into the study. But understanding that will bring you to this understanding of rest. The good news is there is a rest. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a big sigh of relief for those of us who believe. Yeah, for those of us who believe that Jesus is Lord, he died on the cross for our sins, that we are forgiven, and that we're eternally saved. There is a rest. In the last few verses, as we read in chapter 3, we read that the children of Israel were guilty of one thing, unbelief. They said they did not obey due to unbelief. Now, when we think of the word disobedience, I mean, we think of something really bad, don't we? Right off the bat, it's like a child throwing a tantrum or someone breaking the law, someone being disruptive, fighting, things like that. Disobedience. I mean, we just think of it really bad. But in the case of the children of Israel, it was unbelief. The Lord didn't say they were bad people. It's just unbelief. The children of Israel, now they spent their lives, they spent 40 years roaming through the wilderness, and they did not obtain the rest that God had promised them. They did not enter the promised land into that rest. They did not receive all that God had promised for them. Now, God had a plan for them, just as he has a plan for us, okay? And that plan is to also enter into that rest. But entering into the rest requires the same thing that was required of the children of Israel, and that is belief. You know, I find it interesting in ministry, you run into a lot of people and you talk to them or witness to them, you'll ask them, do you believe in God? And they'll say, oh yeah, I believe in God. And then we have the conversation of, okay, what is God to them or what God is? That's a different sermon or what have you. But many people will say, I believe in God. And they believe in God, but did they believe deeply what God has for them, for their life, right? So we believe in God, but we may fall short of believing what God has for us, like his promises and those type of things. Like God keeps his word. So if he says it, it's true. He is truth right? Now, unbelief or skepticism, being skeptical, that will keep us from that rest. Now, unbelief, it stems from many things, but really it stems from us focusing on our weaknesses, maybe our shortcomings. We develop unbelief because we just couldn't possibly believe that God would totally forgive us. That's one piece. Or he would consider using us at any sense when it comes to uh, service for him, especially when we consider or we obsess about all the mistakes that we've made in life. You see, we think that only God blesses us when we do good, or God blesses us when our walk is worthy of being blessed. That's what we think, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. As soon as we do something bad, we just don't believe God will bless us. And why should he, right? Because we've messed up, but that's not the God that we serve. Chuck Smith said it best when he said, the truth is we just do not know how to accept grace gracefully. We can't come to the conclusion or we just don't come to the conclusion that God loves us no matter what. And his word says that he does. So before we get into chapter four here, let's read a verse that nails down this subject. And it actually comes from Hebrew, chapter 11, verse six. You can follow on if you like. Otherwise, I could just read it. 
It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he, God, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Keep that in mind. All right, so chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Okay. The promise of the rest remains. It still remains. It's still there. That promise of the rest is right there. Okay? Believe in the Lord and his promises. Live your life according to those promises and enter in. I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not. We make it very difficult. All of us want to please God, that's for sure. But do all of us believe that his work on the cross was finished? And he said it was finished. I mean, he's rested. He says he's rested. But do we? That's the question. Do we even have that healthy, reverent fear of falling short, of obtaining his promises? Right? Let's think about that. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Okay. So we read that the first bit of good news is that the gospel was preached to all to everyone, right? No one was excluded. Absolutely everybody has the opportunity to follow God. But when it comes to the word of God, either profits you, means that it gives you an advantage, or it doesn't, right? And that's really our decision. We can't take or pick and choose what of God's word that we use in our life. If the word of God is not received in faith, we read, then really what is it? It's just a nice book with nice sayings and meanings in it. Sometimes we post it with post-it notes on our refrigerator, things like that, but we pick and choose what we take from it, and it shouldn't be. It should all be taken in faith. In order for the Word of God to be effective in our lives, it must be received in faith, trusting and believing in Him and His Word and not ourselves. When we take it upon ourselves to pick and choose what we take from Scripture, that's when we take it upon ourselves. All right. Now, when it comes to the promises of God, let's not make the mistake that there's God in heaven and he's got those promises and he's dangling them like a carrot in front of us. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. If we do good, then that's what we're going to get. That's just a poor understanding. When we realize grace, unmerited favor, and mercy that we receive, receiving something we don't deserve, it tells us that as believers, that those promises are there and he loves us no matter what. Grace and mercy, and really his constant love that he reveals to us, shows us that he loves us no matter what. There's no carrot there. Unlike the world, right, where we can point to our accomplishments or our achievements or things that we collect, like, you know, I have a good job, and so I own this house, and I have this boat, and I have those five cars, or whatever the case may be, but I point to me because I worked hard to achieve that. When it comes to the Lord, these promises and these blessings and this promise of rest, Grace, mercy, all these things are free. He's done the work. He gives them to us. So the promises that we're called to believe and have rest in, they're all around us. They're all around us. And the fact is, we may be too busy and focused on our own efforts to even take notice. Now, I shared this scripture two weeks ago, and it applies today, but let's think about it again. Romans 5, 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, finishing a thought, having been justified by faith, Yes, we have. We have peace with God, yes, 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The grace is all around us. It's all around us, and it's always all around us. We're standing right in the middle of it, but yet we don't access it like we should. We're too busy, you know, with our lives and things like that, maybe even stuck in the mud, grounded by our burdens, things like that, to realize that those promises that the Lord has, they're for us, and they're all around us. That he's done the work, and we get to enjoy the benefits of that. And you know, when I start to understand the concept of God's grace and the rest he has for us, I really don't think that it was God's intention for us to be as stressed out as we are. I mean, his word tells us, even Jesus himself tells us, Matthew chapter 6, three times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And when he's talking about having our basic needs met, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, do not be anxious, but he says, put everything to prayer and supplication. And then even the Old Testament, as Isaiah 40 and chapter 40, 41, says, do not fear. He does not want us considering those things. He wants us looking to him. We make the mistake to think that God only blesses us when we perform and do more and more good works, right? We make that mistake. If I tithe more, if I serve more, if I fast more, if I pray more, if I read more, all those things, then God's going to bless me more. But that's not how it works. I mean, that's exactly how we approach it, but that's not how it works. Why should we tithe, fast, pray? Because we love him to worship him. All those are form of worship to him. And why do we receive his blessing so freely? Why is this rest so freely given to us? Because he loves us constantly. He loves us. And he wants us to have those things. So accepting grace gracefully is a very difficult thing to do. And this scripture that I read may help you. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 16 says, And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. And what John's saying is there is grace is out there. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Imagine, you know, we're close to the water. Imagine sitting on the ocean and watching the waves just roll in and back and forth and forth. And I just, when I think about that, I think of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's a constant, whether we walk away or whether we stay there. And this is how the Lord has set it up. If it's grace in which we stand, it's always there. And this is a tough one to grasp as far as the concept concerned because we're focused on ourselves. I notice I keep mentioning grace, but I will share with you, if you understand the concept of grace, then you'll understand the concept of God's rest. We really will. It's in God's rest that we have this peace that surpasses all understanding. When you understand God's unmerited favor for your life, you will have that peace. A personal application here would be to check our hearts and to see, are we a little bit skeptical of God and his promises? Not that the word is not true, but that they're out there, right? Do we really believe that we stand in this grace? Like, yeah, we're here today, sitting, standing, whatever. We really believe that and that his promises are there for the receiving, not for the taking, but for the receiving. See, we are ministers of his word. The Apostle Paul tells us that. We're like a letter, a written letter, right? Written on our backs for all of those to see. So what do people see? And my challenge even to myself was, how effectively could I even teach his word or share a minister, witness his word, if I don't fully believe in this? Okay, let's continue. Verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5 says, For we who have believed do not enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. 
although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Okay? So, we who have believed. Is that us this morning? The writer of Hebrews uses the example again of the children of Israel. The example either qualifies you or it disqualifies you. I know it did for me. So we either believe or we don't believe. Now, God finished his work at creation. We read that and he rested. Very simply put. It wasn't that he was tired. It wasn't that God needed a break. But he rested in the completion of his work. He was done. There was nothing left to do. Right? He created it. And what did he say? He said it was all good. That's right. It was all good. Right? It was a rest of completion. And, and I think about this when we do projects at home, like say painting. Okay? We're going to paint rooms. We like to freshen things up. We prepare. We paint. We put the furniture back or whatever. We clean up. And we stand back and we go, oh, that looks good. Right? Well, we're done. There's nothing left to do. God took a step back in this case and he did the same thing. He rested in his work. Okay? Now, this falls in line with people who are stuck in working for their salvation. Right? They don't necessarily believe that professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior and confessing their sins to him and believing that he was raised on the third day, that they're not saved when they sin, if they continued in sin. Right? The work on the cross is finished. The work on the cross is finished. And if Jesus, you know, had to die many times on the cross, then we're missing the point, right? He only had to die once. So I know early on, gosh, when I was like 18, 19, I couldn't grasp the concept that like, okay, when I sinned, I could just come to him, right? As opposed to putting him back on the cross every time to be saved. I just didn't get it. So the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, we focus on the work out your salvation part. We focus on that, but we miss verse 13 where he said, It's God who works in you. It's God who works in you, right? So it takes the pressure off of us. See, I use the same example that I've heard over and over again in regards to working out your salvation. It's like going to the gym. If you're a gym rat or what have you, you go to the gym and you go to work out your what? Your body, right? But you already have your body. You're just working it out, okay? It's the same with your salvation. You have your salvation. You're just working it out. How? Through your relationship with Jesus, okay? Verses six and seven. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates to a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A lot there. So there it is again, talking about this rest, the rest to be entered in. And the reference here is for the Jews, and we know that the Jews back in the day were pretty consistent in seeking their righteousness through the law. The Gentiles, on the other hand, the new Hebrew Christians that were there, they were seeking their righteousness as taught through their belief, okay? The Jews were doing everything possible, jumping through hoops, displaying their righteous works, 
but they failed there because of their lack of unbelief. They knew the works to do, but not to stand back and believe what God had said. And Jesus made reference to this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, when he said, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But what does he mean by that? Look, our faith must exceed the Pharisees, not meaning our actions and works, people, our faith, our belief, right? Our faith must exceed that, not just our actions and works, but what's in our heart, what the Lord is reading there. Remember, they were self-righteous, doing everything on the outside to show off their religiousness, their religiousness, not their relationship with him. Our fruit comes from within. Our fruit comes from within our hearts. The Lord knows our motives when it comes to that. Also, there will be many who will cling to those good deeds as a ticket into the kingdom, right? Just to find out those works weren't done in faith and deemed invalid, right? They're saying, well, I'm a good person, and look what I've done for the church. Look what I've done for the community and all of these people. But it's an I, I, I statement. Look what I've done not what the Lord's done in and through me. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 says, the Lord says very blatantly, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What's the will of my Father in heaven? Believe. Believe, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. And he uses a pretty harsh word there, lawlessness. I mean, it sounds bad. I don't want that label, right, lawlessness. But that could also be translated as disobedient. Disobedient. The children of Israel did not enter into God's rest because of disobedience. The word doesn't say, again, that they weren't bad people, right? They didn't say that they were lawbreakers or anything like that. They were just disobedient, non-belief. They probably performed many good works unto the Lord. I would imagine that they did. They weren't always that way, but it was their unbelief that kept them from this rest, from this rest that the Lord had for them. Why? Because maybe they thought that their good works had something to do with whether God would bless them or not. And this is where we get stuck. This is where we get stuck. Verses 8 through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has also ceased from his work as God did from his. All right, so we've established over and over again that you can't enter God's rest via the law. We try, we work hard at it, but we can't. So we give ourselves a break and stop doing that, right? Now Joshua, read this story, he entered into the promised land but not completely. He entered in, but we read the people only inhabited a portion of what God had for them, right? There was more land to conquer, more land to take, more land to receive that God had, but they only entered into a portion. Same with us. I mean, have we stepped into our Christianity and not received all what God has for us? Not received those promises? This is another challenge. I mean, we really, really want to believe that God has more for us but fall back into that mindset that we don't deserve it because of who we were B.C., before Christ, right? And what happens there is the father of all lies, he gets in our head, gets in our ears, and he convinces us that God couldn't possibly love us that much and that we don't deserve it, right? Okay, you can have a relationship with it, but God's not going to bless you. He's not going to give you all those things, 
and we believe it. And then what do we do? We condemn ourselves. We condemn ourselves. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is none. It's kind of like receiving a thank you. How many of us are comfortable receiving a thank you when someone compliments us or gives us us? It's a humbling process for sure, but someone wants to bless us by saying, you know what, thanks for doing that, man. Thanks for helping me here. Thanks for whatever. And we often say, don't thank me, or you know what, I can't accept that. Or I'll tell you what, I'll just take a portion of it. You know, give it to someone who deserves it, that type of thing. And whatever our motive is, when we do that, we've just robbed ourselves of the blessing. And what about the person who wanted to give us the blessing by being appreciative to us, right? Our Father in Heaven has all these gifts. Why? Because He loves us. And guess what? We dictate what we're going to accept. And that's not how He wants it. Is it because we think we're better and we know better than God or that we don't deserve it? It shouldn't be. I mean, there's so much more that God has for us today. We just believe. We just press on and believe. So many unclaimed promises from our Father. So many useless, stress-filled days and nights thinking about ourselves and how we fell short, being exhausted at the end of the day because we spun our wheels when the Lord was content with our good, with our good. Look, the rest is there, and it still remains. Believe and accept that the grace of God, that unmerited favor in which we stand is right there. I mean, you don't know how many Christians I've met, believers, seasoned believers, that are stressed out in one way or another. And I hear that, oh, I need to pray for stress. I need to pray for stress. Look, it's a real emotion. It's a real thing that happens to people, the weights, but it has a crippling effect, a fear, you know, especially of the unknown of what's around the corner, right? But that's not how the Lord wants us to live. He doesn't want us to live in that fear. In his word, God says that he rested. He's our example, he rested. Jesus finished the work on the cross, and we as his children should be exclaiming, look, okay, I'm tired, but I'm going to cease in my word. I'm going to believe in you and rest at the cross and be content with that, right? We don't have to be perfect. I think of the example, having spent so many years in youth ministry, kids have to feel like they're perfect all the time or else we're disappointed with them, right? That they have to do everything. That's simply not the case. When we look in the mirror, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be awesome. We don't have to be unbelievable, right? God created the heavens and the earth and said it was good. We just have to be good. Just have to be good, faithful that way. All right, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same examples of disobedience. For the word of God is a living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay. So now the writer focuses on the word. Okay, he switches gears and he focuses on our hearts, the conditions of our hearts. He said, let's be diligent. What does that mean? Be careful, be aware, be understanding of this so that we enter this rest by faith, okay? 
And this is something that the writer really wants us to grasp. He really wants us to get hold of this one because there's no other means that we should try to enter this rest except for faith, right? Any other means would spell out works and works with the intention to enter God's rest is, as the children of Israel, would be considered disobedience. So the writer here makes the jump to just establish God's word. And he says God's word is living and it's powerful. It brings forth life. Psalm 119.50, right? It transforms us. It conforms us. It guides us. It's truly our life manual. It's truly our foundation. And good or bad, the word pierces us. It pierces us. Our spiritual growth comes through hearing the word. It does not come through emotional experiences. It comes from hearing the word of God. And this word, God's word, pierces us to the very core. It pierces us to the very core and exposes us for who we really are. It really does. And as soon as I said that, I know maybe you thought that might have been a negative comment. But when I sit back, it poses the question, how does God see you as his child? How does he see you? Right? Does he see you as this dirty, rotten, condemned sinner? Does he? Does he see us that way? How does God tell us in his word he sees us? Righteous justified, his redeemed child. He loves us. That's how he sees us, right? And all the works that we perform while in the body, all these works that we do, all the things that we do unto him, they'll be judged for sure at the Bema seat, right? We know that. We're saved, but he's going to find out from our hearts what those works, if they were pure or not, right? In the fire, as he speaks of, what's going to go in and what will be left will be those works that were done with a pure motive and a pure faith. Many are going to be saved by fire, for sure, meaning that our professed faith in Jesus, we're saved, for sure. But they will have never entered his rest and enjoyed his promises because they just weren't sure. They were just skeptical. Maybe that unbelief took over in regards to those promises being there or not being there, right? You see, it's not so much what I did while I was in the body, it's why I do them while in the body. Do I do them to please man or do I do them to please God? Is it for my glory or is it for his glory? I mean, if I'm on the worship team, why do I sing, right? If I'm on the cleaning ministry, why do I clean? If I'm teaching the junior, senior high, why am I teaching? Why am I a greeter and so on? To be seen by man or to be seen by the one who died for you, right? There's a joy. Moreover, there's a peaceful rest in giving back to the Lord through service. Absolutely, willing hearts. This is why your serving, your giving, your teaching should be private with humility, as the word says, right? Are we announcing that all we do for the Lord to man, or are we keeping that between ourselves and God? Does the left hand know what the right hand's doing, and so on? I mean, you know, I've seen examples, and it's kind of like, okay, you know, we see that, what you're doing for the Lord, but if the Lord's checking your heart, we don't need to know that if you're the one that sponsored the kid to go to camp or if you're singing on the worship team, if you have a solo or something like that, right? It's just one of those things that's between you and the Lord. God knows our motives. He does. He knows all about us. We can't hide from him, the word says. We can get away with hiding from man, for sure, but not with the Lord. I mean, he exposes our nakedness, the word says. All right, let's finish up in verses 14 through 16. Seeing that we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so there we are, as we've described, exhausted, <laughs> but this promise of rest is right there. It's right there for us. We're standing in the grace, maybe not accessing it to uh, its full potential. We just don't quite believe it's there for us, right? We have a little guilt complex about what we've done and maybe we don't think we deserve these gifts. Or if we do receive the gifts, are we receiving them fully or just a portion? I mean, did I cover it all? Does it sound familiar? Well, not quite. What's needed here? An advocate. We need an advocate, right? You see, while it's true that we should be obedient and believe in these rich and precious promises, but we certainly don't have to go it under our own power. We do not. There is Jesus, described as our high priest. He is his example. He is our leader, right? The temptation to have to worry, doubt, and fear in real-life situations, those are all real. Those are all real emotions, right? And it leads to major stress, as we've decided. But in Hebrews 2.18, the word says this, For in that he himself has suffered, Jesus, being tempted, he, Jesus, is able to aid those who are tempted. Look, Jesus has been tempted far more than we could ever imagine. Far more. Entrusted with far more accountability and responsibility for us. He can relate to us. He can relate to us. He can have mercy on us, sympathize with us, extend his grace upon grace upon grace to us. And while we're there spinning our wheels and trying to make things happen on our own, Jesus is right there waiting for us to have compassion on us. And why would he say in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound nice? It does, right? Rest for your souls. We stress at home. We stress at work. We stress even at church if ministries become a job to you. But we have this rest at our fingertips, yet we delay. The rest to let the Holy Spirit work in and through our lives, the kind of rest to say, look, I've been forgiven and no matter what, he loves me. No matter what, he loves me. And he wants me to receive these promises. I mean, at our fingertips, what do we have? The gospel, which is the good news of Christ, the good news of grace. We have his rich and precious promises. We have him as our high priest, as a perfect example to relate to us, all of, at our fingertips. The children of Israel, back in chapter 3, failed because of their unbelief. But we don't have to. We don't have to. We do not have to continue to think that we're not deserving of his gifts, of his promises. We have complete access to them through grace, by faith. So my encouragement today, let's believe that, and let's get some rest. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you, and we do thank you, Lord, for your word as it reminds us how fallible we are. It reminds us, Lord, how 
even in our busyness, we take our eyes off of you and off of your word, Lord. And you do have things for us to do. You have works for us, Lord, that you will work in and through us. Yes, but Father, you won't stretch us beyond what we can handle for sure. And Lord, you do have this rest promise for us to say that, you know, you're in control and you will lead us and guide us and show us the way. And Father, with that, we have this peace that surpasses all understanding that you can't describe it, Lord, so that we can joyfully and willingly serve you as you would have us serve you, Lord. We thank you for the work that you did on the cross, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for loving us the way that you do. Father, may we be obedient, believe what you have for us, and receive that rest. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.